We are in the middle of a series, and we're in the middle of a construction project. If you notice, they left us a skylight this morning. Um, I, I was praying that the Lord would not manifest his presence as rain. Um, that would have been unfortunate. I came here last night because the sound stuff had been kind of moved around, and me and Matt and Pastor Cliff were here, and we're standing looking up at the ceiling, and we're like, we, can't, we couldn't tell if it was tape or not. And so literally, and Jack was here too, Matt's son, and the four of us are standing there staring like, if y'all had walked in, y'all thought we were crazy. We're just looking, and we're all trying to figure out, is this a hole or is this like some kind of tape? And Cliff, I know, I think there's this little red tag that's blowing in the wind, and we're like, oh, no, that's an actual hole. So I'm really glad that it's sunny today, right? Aren't you glad that the sun is shining? If you weren't before, you should be now because then we'd be getting, uh, you can get a shower. Josh Schneider would have got a shower this morning playing guitar. Praise God. We are in a series this morning. It's the Magnificent Seven. It's the seven final sayings of Jesus so far. We have done Father, forgive them. And we have done This Day You Will Be With Me in Paradise. But this morning is the third one. And I'm not going to lie to you. This statement here is, I'm pretty confident in what I'm about to say. This is the most underused and overlooked statement of the seven by far. And I also think that because it's been used in other denominations in what I would consider to be a wrong interpretation, I think you're going to learn some stuff this morning that you may not have learned. I'm going to let you know the first half you're going to like a lot. The second half, you might not. I'm just going to let you know right now. But it's not me. It's the Bible. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. I ask that you'd be with us today, that you would allow me to to give this message the way you want it done, none of myself but all of you. Father, I pray that you would anoint this message, and I pray that every person under the sound of my voice leaves this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Go to John chapter 19, verse 25. Just to give you the reminder, Jesus is on the cross. He's been nailed. He's already dealt with being the the crown of thorns in his head, his beard ripped from his face. He's been nailed. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He is naked. We've gone over all this stuff already. And so here we are. He is hanging on the cross. He's already said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's already looked at the thief and he said, today you will be at me in paradise. And now Jesus stood there by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26, and when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I'm reading it again. Now now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister and the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved, he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. There are two things we're going to grab this morning. But we're going to start with the first one. Now, before we can get into what this first principle is, because that's what this is. These statements are giving us principles from the life, from these statements of Jesus. And so we're going to pull one this morning. And the first one is to understand that we have to grab where we are in the story. Okay, so Jesus, we've just said a second ago, he is hanging on the cross. 
He has been nailed to the cross. He has been beaten with the cat of nine tails, which is a whip that has glass, broken pottery, and rocks uh, woven into the threads. And he's been beaten with that 39 times. A death sentence was 40. So he's been beaten 39 times. He's had a crown of thorns, thorns, not like rose thorns, but thorns shoved into his head. They say that the size of his head was three times the size of a normal human being's head. His beard has been ripped from his face, and he is hanging on the cross. He's being mocked. He's naked. The entire, anyone who wants to see him, the entire city can look at him and do this. And we, we saw last week that Pastor Randy was saying that more people than normal came to this crucifixion because of who it was. And so here we are. And then as he said last week also, which I had never really thought about, the, not only is Jesus dealing with everything in the natural right now, he's dealing with all the different things happening in the natural. He's also dealing with what he's seeing in the spirit. He's dealing with all the things happening in the spirit. Jesus is bearing the weight of sin for every person who has ever lived and ever will live. Jesus is carrying that weight right now on the cross. And think about this. He's in the middle of doing all of this. That sounds pretty busy. Sounds a little overwhelmed, if I may. You ever been overwhelmed? You ever been busy? Have you ever been so busy that, like, your child comes up to you and asks you a question while you're in the middle of doing something super important and you like, just hold on, baby, I can't answer you right now. Did that ever happen? If you say no, you're lying or you're really busy and just don't even hear your kids. Right? Because that has happened to all of us. I need somebody to come cut the air down over here because I feel like I'm losing everyone in the first three rows as they're slowly being frozen by Elsa. So, just somebody come bump it up for a second. Let it chill out. I'm sweating. It's okay. I live with it. It comes with the job. Anyway, so, my wife is literally like trying to pay attention like this. Praise God. So, Jesus is a little overwhelmed. But, but notice what he does. He just got finished telling God to forgive the people that are hurting him, mind-blowing. He looks at the other guy dying next to him and says, you're going to be with me in paradise today. Like he's doing some pretty big things in this moment. But he stops in the middle of all of this, and he looks at his mother, and he goes, oh, it's mom. And he says, mother, behold your son. He looks at John and says, behold your mother. You know what this tells me? This tells me that Jesus is not only interested in the big things that we do. Jesus is concerned about the small things. Because in the grand scheme of this moment, Mary being taken care of, in my mind, would not be near the top of the list. Pain management would probably be at the top of the list. Dealing with what is going on to me in the moment would be near the top of the list. But Jesus takes this moment and puts his attention on his mother. Mary had been there and as much as she could through the entire persecution and the execution process. She had fallen him. She had gone all through these things. And she stops, Jesus stops and addresses and takes care of his mom. This rocks me the more I think about it. Like the more that I've read this message, this part has really provoked me and challenged me because as as Matt just said a few minutes ago, 
We're involved in helping pastors in Ukraine that at one point were hiding in bomb shelters and having service in bomb shelters because their families were running. They're now running to Germany and Poland and and Romania to get away from a literal Russian invasion. Like this is the stuff that they made movies about in the 80s and it's actually happening in real time. This is the first land conflict Europe has seen like this since World War II, right? This is big stuff, and we're involved in helping big things. I want to be involved in ending addiction. Do you, do you understand the words that just came out of my mouth? I don't want to fight addiction. I want to end addiction, right? I want St. Bernard Parish to have a negative addiction rate. I don't even know if that's possible, but we're going to figure out a way to make it possible in Jesus' name. Right? Like, I want to see sex trafficking eradicated from this region. I want to see racism embarrassed in this region. Those are big things. Big things. And so many times we get caught up in the big things that God is doing that we forget that God is not only doing big things. We forget that God is not only interested in nations. He's not only interested in massive things. He's just as interested in the small things. According to the culture at the time, women were second-class citizens. And in some cases, they couldn't even go to the market and make a purchase by themselves. They had to have a male representative or a male covering with them, which would be a father or a brother or a son. That's who would go, or even a friend at this point. You had to have a male covering with you. Jesus, being Mary's oldest son, is responsible for her well-being. And most theologians believe at this point in time that she was a widow, which means her husband Joseph would have died. And Jesus is the oldest of her children. And so it falls to him to take responsibility for his mother. Jesus was in the middle of purchasing Mary's eternal provision, but still took the time to take care of her earthly provision. He's in the middle of purchasing her eternal provision, yet still stops to make sure somebody was taking care of her while she was still here. That's mind-blowing to me. Like, like, I don't think you understand how mind-blowing that has been for me this week, that God legitimately cares about the tiny things that I often think are insignificant. See, me, and I'm just going to give you a little bit about myself for a minute. I, it's almost uh, involuntary for me to put myself on the side for ministry. I'm not saying this to brag about myself. It's just kind of who I've always been. Like, like last night, we, like I said, the sound stuff was all pushed back to the, the wall, and um, they had the, the stage covered, everything. We had to make sure it was right. Well, people came in, the roof guys cleaned, had some other people come volunteer and clean, and I, I realized that the, the sound stuff wasn't set up the way it needed to be, and I didn't want the worship team coming in early, and Pastor Cody lives in Slidell, so he wasn't going to do it. So um, last night, I just automatically said, I got to go to the church, goodbye, don't. And I was here like 9, th- or whatever it was, 9.30, 10 o'clock, whatever it was. I don't remember what time it was. And I'm here, and I'm putting this house about together. Why? Because it didn't matter if I was tired, if I was hungry, if my wife had just made some ridiculously good chocolate chip cookies. Like, that didn't matter, because she did, and thankfully they had some when I got home. But, like, that didn't matter. What mattered was there was a situation that needed attention, and I had the ability to do it, so I got up and did it. When I really wanted to just have some chocolate chip cookies. That's what I wanted to do. And I have a habit of overlooking the small things in my life for the things I deem big in his life. And what Jesus let me know through this message is that the small things that matter to me matter to him. 
hear me out. You got to understand this. He cares for you. He cares for you. There's no prerequisite for him to care for you. He cares for you. Pastor Chris, I don't know if I believe that. That's okay. Don't believe me. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Caitlin didn't know I was preaching on this this morning. She started singing that, that little chorus, that tag. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither they toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what knows. You need all of these things. We've talked a lot about, and you have heard me say that God has plans for you and he's made you with a purpose, made you on purpose with a purpose. He wants to use us to change a region. He wants to use you to change a region. We know all of these things. However, we must also know that he cares for us. He cares for us as individuals. He knows every tear you have cried. Think about that for a minute. Pastor, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, that's fine. We'll get to you in a second. Go to Psalm 56 real quick. You number my wanderings and put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Go back to verse 8 real quick. Put my tears in your bottle. How many moms do we have in the room? Now, this is not meant to be insulting. This is just something I've never understood. I've never understood why moms collect baby teeth. I just don't. Like, it's a little weird to me. I'm just going to be totally honest. And all the mothers are a little like, you don't understand. Like, I, I yes, I don't understand. But I do think it's a little strange. I'm not going to lie. Like you just going through old picture albums and then there's like a molar. Like I don't understand. It's just a little weird to me. I'm not going to lie. But I see, like Kate, uh, Caitlin has one or two of them I think somewhere. I don't know where she has them. But I know she has them. But I see the teeth, right? I see little baby teeth. I don't know whose they are. But I remember like when the kid, look, it's my teeth, mom. Oh, look, it's a tooth. And you like hold the tooth. Oh, baby, it's a tooth, right? And you're so excited over the tooth. And then some moms put them all in a little jar. And like keep the baby teeth. And it's a little strange to me, right? But hey, some mothers love it and they cherish it because that's a season of that child's life. They'll never get back. And it's the growth of the child. And it's this great attachment and this great memory. And even though I think it's a little strange, mom can still say, look, I got the baby teeth. This, think about this the same way the nurturing that it takes to collect baby teeth. It says that he bottles my tears. 
Do you understand the nurturing that it takes? How many, how many tears have you cried? How many tears have you cried? Heaven says that there will be no tears to fill the eye, right? There'll be no tears. But I just humor me for a second. Could you imagine if we get to heaven, we get to be with the Lord, and we walk in, and he's just, we're spending time with him. He says, oh, I want to show you something. Come see. And he brings you to this little storage room. I don't know if they have those in heaven, but let's just say they do. Humor me. And he just pulls out this jar. And it's every tear that you've cried. And he says, he, I cherish these because these brought you closer to me. These rep, in here is the time your heart was broken and I got to mend it back together. In, in here was, was, when your, was when your mother passed away and you were just hurting, you were just broken. And I got to be the peace that calmed the storm. In, in, in that moment right there, that, that, that's when your spouse was diagnosed with cancer or with, with a bad medical report and you didn't know what to do and everything in your life was falling apart and yet I got to come in and be the strength, the joy of the Lord. Being, I got to come in and be the strength of your heart that day. Those tears, those were in the bottle. That is the attention to detail that God takes into you and me. So please, never, ever, 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 ever let the devil tell you that God doesn't care. I'm so sick of people falling in and believing the lie that God doesn't care about me. God doesn't notice me. God's forgotten me. God's not interested in me. When, please, that's literally the reason Jesus came. It's the whole reason, because he cares for you and me. He cares on such a deep and personal level. It's so genuine and it's so real. I haven't gotten to this point yet, praise God. But one day, a little boy is going to break my little girl's heart. And hopefully I don't break his face. Most of y'all haven't, so I believe there's hope, right? But I know that there's a coming time when my daughter's heart is broken and all I can do is hold her and cry with her. You know, when, when, when Lazarus died, Jesus shows up on time, even though it was late. He shows up after Lazarus dies and walks up and it says Jesus wept. Jesus knows he's about to raise him from the dead, yet Jesus still cries in the moment. Why? Because Jesus wanted Mary and Martha to know that I will still grieve with the pain that you're experiencing because Lazarus was my friend too. I can promise you that when your heart is broken and your heart is crushed and you're defeated and you're in the fetal position and all you want to do is eat ice cream all day, when you're in that position, he's crying with you. He's not just waiting for you to get up and dust it off. That's how I feel sometimes. I feel like God just waits for me to have my little party. And then when I'm ready to get back to work, he's ready to go. That's, what I, that's how my thought process is. But no, when I'm down, he's with me. When I'm broken, he's right there in the middle of it. Why? Because as I know, when my heart had been broken, my mom and dad were with, were with me in the middle of the brokenness so they could be part of the process of putting me back together. The reason he finds you in your brokenness is because he wants to be the first person you turn to. 
So the first part of this message that I want you to understand, the first principle, is that he cares for you. He stopped in the middle of dying for the sins of the world to take care of his mother. He cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Okay. That was the nice part. The second principle that Jesus shows us in this quote, let's go back to John 19. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister and the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I want to address something very quickly. I'm not trying to be demeaning, but I want to let everybody know that this is not a passage that puts Mary in a divine place. It's often used and interpreted that this is where Jesus establishes Mary in some divine order, and it is not. That is not what's happening right here. I'm just throwing that out there. But I want to know, I want you to dig in a little bit here and realize this is back at the cross. He looks down and makes the statement, but we know Mary had other children. Go to Matthew 13, 55 for me. I've got to give you some scripture. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogues and, saw, and so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? James, hold on, go back to that verse real quick. James, Simon, and Judas are not the disciples, James, Simon, and Judas. They're his stepbrothers or his half-brothers. I want you to understand that. Let's keep going. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? Jesus, at this, in Matthew 13, he's ministering in Nazareth. He's ministering in his hometown. And the people are not receptive to what Jesus is saying because they're like, wait a second, that's Jesus. But isn't that his mama? Ain't that his brothers? Ain't that his sisters? He's normal. Why, where, why is he crazy thinking he's something special? So we know by this verse that Jesus had half-siblings and that Mary had other children. But yet in this moment, let's go back to the cross. In this moment, Jesus has a conundrum he has to deal with. Because according to Jewish law, when the, dad, when the husband would die and the wife became a widow, the responsibility went to the oldest son. When the oldest son was no longer around, it went to the next son and so on and so forth down the line. It was, a, it was law. It wasn't just culture. In our world, it's culture. It's our world. We just step in and take care of people. In their world, it was law. It was against the law if you didn't do this. You faced penalties. You could be put in jail if you didn't follow these laws. However, Jesus is at the cross, and it says that his, technically his aunt, Mary's sister, is there. Mary is there. And he's got all these other half-siblings. But Jesus says, woman, behold your son, pointing to the disciple, John who is not related to Jesus. This is going to get real good in a minute, and I don't know if you're going to like it, but it's going to get real good. And then he looks at the son, I'm at John, and says, son, behold your mother. 
What Jesus does is Jesus has to give someone the responsibility of caring for his mother because it is his in the moment and he's dying. But Jesus doesn't pick a biological relationship. He picks a spiritual one. Jesus doesn't pick a biological relative. He picks a spiritual relative. You know why? Because at this point, most theologians believe that his half-siblings didn't believe he was the Messiah. They were unbelievers at this point. They became believers after, because the book of James is written by his half-brother, not the disciple James. It's written by his half-brother. But most people believe that they did not believe till after the resurrection. Similar to Joseph and his brothers. So they're unbelievers, but they're the biological connection. You would think if anybody's going to step up and take care of Mary, it's going to be the next brother-in-law. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not picking a biological connection. I'm picking a spiritual one. Jesus, in this moment, gives a new definition for family. Family's no longer determined by the blood in your veins, but the blood in mine. I'm going to say that again. Family's no longer determined by the blood in your veins, but the blood in mine. Pastor Chris, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm saying what you think I'm saying. It's okay. He lays this out. That this room right here, we say it all the time that we're a family. And I don't mean that in just some cool, philosophical statement. I say we are a family as a matter of doctrine. Like, it is my obligation as a servant of the Lord to be family to the people in this room. Well, Pastor Chris, what, what are, you, are, you, are, you, are you saying my biological family doesn't matter? No. My biological family's here. I'm blessed to have the vast majority of my family born again. And that's from generations of praying. My grandmother is here. My mom is here. My dad is here. I mean, we've got four generations in this church. That didn't happen because we just woke up one day and said, hey, let's get donuts and then go to church. That's not how that happened. That was decades of prayer. That's still going on. Because my grandmother is praying for the, her great-grandchildren, and it's just going to continue. So I'm not talking about that. And yes, I've got family who does not know the Lord. And I love them. I have nothing against them. This is not a knock on them. But what Jesus is saying in this moment is that what he did was he elevated spiritual family to the same place as biological family. That the love you have for a cousin is the love you got to have for your brother and sister in Christ. He at least makes it even. We're going to keep going a little bit because I don't know if I've upset you yet. Let's go a little bit further. This is why he did it, though. Who do you go to for counsel? Who do you go to when the diagnosis is bad? Who do you go to when your marriage is on the rocks? Who do you turn to when, you're, when your finances are bad? Many people turn to family. And that's very good. But there's one thing Jesus is drawing our attention to here. He wanted his mother cared for by somebody of the same spirit as him. He wanted somebody cared by the same spirit as him. 
I've had people, I know many people, this has been done to me, someone asked me to do this, but I know many people who have done this, have great families outside of church, but there have been couples and families in the church that other people have gone to and said, listen, if something happens to me and my husband, we're literally writing it in our will that you get the kids, not my family. Why? Because the same spirit. It's the same spirit. Pastor Chris, why does this matter? Because when the fire is the hottest in my life, I don't need somebody telling me how hot the fire is. When the pain is the worst, I don't need somebody telling me about the time they were in pain or how to go numb to pain. What I need is somebody in my life that's going to say the fire is burning, but he's in it with you. The pain is bad, but his pain was worse and he paid the price already. When it's the darkest night, the morning's coming because sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's something about being connected to the family of God in the true sense that Jesus is laying out here. That Jesus had a responsibility. He had a duty by law to take care of his mother. He had a not just a cultural thing, a nice thing to do. It was law. And he's dying on the cross and the person that he trusted the most with his mother is somebody he's not related to naturally, but somebody he's related to spiritually because the same spirit that was about to raise Jesus from the dead was about to be on the inside of John. And Jesus trusted the Holy Spirit in John more than he trusted the blood in his half-brother's veins. This is so, this is so burdened for me. It's such a passion of mine because I have seen, if there's anything I've ever seen, it's been the benefit of spiritual family. I am so thankful for spiritual moms and dads that I have. I'm so thankful. I drove to Dallas and back and didn't sleep for a funeral for my spiritual dad when he died of cancer. There was no way in the world I was missing that funeral. Wasn't going to happen. I'm so thankful for spiritual brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful for that. I've got two amazing brothers, but I've got some amazing sisters too. Rachel Wilson says I'm the brother she never had. We joke around because she technically didn't make the cut for my wedding. We weren't friends when we made the wedding list. But when we started hanging out, we became so close so fast that I called her the morning of my wedding. I called Cliff and I said, hey, I just heard that two people, we had like all the RCPs, everybody was supposed to be coming. It was, it was a pretty big deal. And I'm like, hey, two people just called and said they're canceling. Y'all can come to the wedding. She came to the wedding and hid from my mom. Because she didn't want mom to know she came, but she wasn't on the guest list. But I made, the, I made sure that I wanted them there because that's family. That's family. That's family. I'm so thankful for spiritual sons and daughters. Yeah, I'm only 34, but I've got, I've got quite a little family tree. Or spiritual sons and daughters. When I was a youth ministry, I really wanted to claim them on my taxes. That would have been nice. I've been phenomenal. Too bad I ain't doing it now. Lord Jesus, I'll be getting so many income tax credits, I'll be out of debt. What you talking about? That'd be amazing. But you know what just happened recently? And I'm not really okay with this title. 
but I'm starting to get spiritual grandkids. That's a little weird. But when I first met Brady, John and Sydney's son, I walked, we walked in, I think it was at your house. I think we came, to, we couldn't go to the hospital because of COVID. Go to the house and Sydney's holding them and says, hey, look, it's Papa Chris. And Aunt Caitlin, she knew not, she knew not to call Caitlin Mama. But my spiritual kids are starting to have kids. And I don't know what it feels like to be an actual grandfather. But I can tell you this. I light up when I see them babies. I do anything for them. Because it's not about the blood in their veins or the blood in my veins. It's about the blood in his. It's not about the blood rolling around inside of us. That doesn't matter. It is different. We've got different ethnicities. We've got different, we're, this is the melting pot, right? We got New Orleans is like the melting pot of the melting pot, right? Like everything's all different, but it doesn't matter because we've all been washed in the same blood. And my sin was washed away by the same blood that your sin was washed away with. And so Jesus is saying, it's not about biological family only. And you might be very close to some family members who are not serving the Lord, and that's phenomenal. But you need to be ministering to them because they need Jesus. But I would hope that when the junk hits the fan in your life, that you don't run to unsaved people because that's dangerous. I understand you grew up with them. I get it. I understand. Believe me, I understand that you grew up. I got friends like that that I've grown up with. They don't get a phone call. Not first. Because you know why they don't get a phone call first? Because I know in the moment when the battle starts and the fire's the hottest, I need people who are going to speak life to me. I need people who are going to tell me that I, especially tell me if I'm being stupid. I'm not going to get too much into it, but last January was, was, was rough for me. Real rough. And I can remember getting random text messages from Raph and Brianna, from John and Destiny. Random, we got your back, bro. I didn't call distant family. I didn't need to. You know why? Because the family that mattered already knew. They're already in my life. And when I was broken and I was angry, I had brothers, not just Cody and Cliff, who'd get on the phone with me and say, hey, bro, you better watch yourself. Don't let bitterness get in your heart. Not let's go to the bar and let's drown our sorrows. Don't let bitterness get in your heart. Don't make a stupid decision while you're angry. Keep your head right, because you can't think straight if the enemy gets in your head. Don't let him get in your head, bro. Don't let him get in your head, bro. I had phone calls every morning, text messages every morning from people, knowing that I had been hit really hard and I was struggling. You ever been hit real hard? Right? I've never been in an actual fight, but I've seen it when people get in the fight and for, they get popped in the head real bad, and it takes a second for them to like get themselves back together before they can start fighting again. You ever get hit that hard spiritually, emotionally, mentally, where you can't figure it out? You better have the right people in your corner. You better have the right people in your corner. I don't want to hear opinion. I want to hear the word. 
And what Jesus is saying here is if in this moment, look at the moment he's using to establish this. He is dying. He is literally about to die. It doesn't get more real than that moment. That's the moment of moments. You're about to leave the planet. And I got responsibilities, and I'm trusting them to a believer. Let me tell you something. I can't begin to tell you how thankful I am for the body of Christ, the family that I have. I can't begin to tell you. I could literally tell you stories till next Sunday of especially spiritual kids of mine who have stepped up and done things for my wife and I that makes no sense. I had a surgery years ago and I was recovering, I was home. No, I'm sorry, my back was out. Different story. I was laid up at my house. And Hannah Goddard, I mean, Hannah Wilson, sorry, Hannah Wilson. Getting used to the name changes, it's tough. She sends a text message, says, hey, how you feeling today? And I said, all right, so you need anything? And I jokingly said, Popeyes would be great. LOL, I have to get up and get some lunch in a minute. 20 minutes later, thank God my door was unlocked because I couldn't have got up to open it. She walks in. She knew what I ordered from Popeye's. That's how much she was around. Brought me the Popeye's in, set it on the floor, and then just walked in and went back to work on her lunch break. I'm going to be honest, I've never had a cousin do that. I just haven't. I'm not saying you don't. I'm not saying that's not the case for you. What I'm saying is that you may come to church and feel alone. I want to let you know something. I want to repent to you as pastor because this is a family. And if you feel like you don't fit in here, you haven't found the right people yet. Because when, when, when we walk in on Sunday morning, this needs to feel like Thanksgiving or Christmas. We need to be excited to see each other. Half of us should have been talking all week long because that's what we do. And when we get together, it should be exciting. It should be fun. It should be uplifting. One of my favorite things to watch, and again, it's because of my spiritual kids now having kids and it's whatever. One of my favorite things to watch is like take the Tucker twins, for example. The amount of people that they legitimately trust with their children. Think, think about that for a second, right? When you first had a baby, some of y'all was like doing the Heisman pose to everybody but your own mother. Like you ain't touching my kid. Ain't happening. I get like the first week. But it's amazing to me, just count one Sunday. Just find a baby and just count how many people can hold that baby. That doesn't happen just because we're careless. That happens because there's such a bond of unity and a bond of family here that you can be a part of. This is not just something I'm talking about that you get to hear about. This is something you can be a part of. There are three reasons why we're not connected to spiritual family. The first one is because we don't realize that spiritual family is a thing. We just don't realize it. The second reason is that we've got an offense with somebody and we haven't done what the Bible said to do and make it right. 
Or the third one is, is that we haven't, Bible literally says, to be a friend, show yourself friendly. Sometimes we got to be the initiator. Sometimes we got to be the one to kind of step out a little bit. And the best way to be connected to family is in our small groups, in our life groups. It's the best way to do it. I was at a birthday party yesterday with like 40-something people. You wanna know what the number one connection was? Life group. It was life group. Because it's family. The Bible literally says in Timothy, to regard older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and older women as sisters, and younger women as sisters in absolute purity. That's why we do things like marriage matters. Why? Because your marriage matters. Why? Because your kids are like my niece and nephews. It matters. That's why we go out of our way to do things like that. That's why small groups are so important. That's why we do family days, because we're a family. And do you realize how many people right now out in this city are dying because they have no family? They have no brothers. They have no sisters. They have no mothers and no fathers and no sons and daughters to take care of them. I need to stop and say this for a minute. There are people out there right now that are 60 and older that don't have a good relationship with their sons or daughters, and they would kill to have one with you. They don't realize it, but that's how Jesus can reach them. You may be here, and you don't have a good relationship with your mother and your father. I guarantee you somebody in this room will adopt you. I can guarantee it. Whether you're 10 years old or 50 years old, there's somebody in here who will say, you know what? I got you. When my spiritual dad died in 2016, I had a void. My dad's sick. We, we can't do as much as we used to. There's a pastor in Walker, Louisiana named Wes Courtney. I just happened to be at a youth event. I'm good friends with his, with his son, Daryl. We're like brothers. Pastor Wes walks in one day. He didn't know that I had just buried my spiritual dad a couple weeks before. He just walks in, puts his hands on the back of my shoulders, gives him a good squeeze and says, how you been, son? And in that moment, the spirit of adoption came over me and I realized, up, oh, I got a new spiritual dad. And let me tell you something. He tells me what I need to hear. Without question. Why? Because I've put myself in a position to receive it. You may be here this morning and you may be saying, Pastor Chris, I'm not in a position to receive it. I I hear the family you're talking about. I hear the love you're talking about. I I, I don't feel like I'm involved in it. Well, first off, remember it's about his blood. You got to have your sin forgiven. That's what makes it common. That's what, that's the connection, is the fact that I might not be like you, look like you, talk like you, vote like you, think like you. None of that matters. I've been washed in the same blood as you. That's what matters. I want you to bow your heads this morning.